0: their essential love of justice. Hi,
2: welcome to the Kudzu Vine for December 3rd, 2017. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me this week, only at this point, welcome Tim Shiflett.
1: Good evening, sir.
2: Yes. Well, um, we will keep a lookout for Catherine. We did not know of anything that came up with her, so hopefully... She's trying to call in, and we can get this uh, maybe technical difficulty straightened out, and Catherine will join us in a second. Also, in about 20 minutes, and we believe for real this time, um, our guest from Predict It and Aristotle Database Services, John Aristotle Phillips, will be on the show later on as well. But, Tim, just lucky um, with two of us right now that there's a little bit of something to discuss in the world of politics. Uh, (laughs) It's just hard to know where to start. But um, let's start off with the thing I sent y'all last Almost, you know, it was like there's so much going, I almost forgot it But there was a report midweek that Rex Tillerson may be out That Donald Trump is looking to push him out There was other reports that people don't talk to him uh, About important Secretary of State business, including Jared Kushner um, Why is this not just happening
1: instead of this slow leak, if you will? Well, I think it would have already happened, but something else happened that we're also going to talk about. And that's all this mess that broke open with General Kelly. Um, He might actually survive now as a result of that, Tillerson might. Uh, uh, Trump needs to circle the wagons because this thing's getting pretty close to him. Uh, Firing Tillerson right now would probably be akin to pouring gasoline on the fire. Uh, He he just doesn't need another thing right now Uh, because this thing, you know, things are starting to get heated up pretty close to Trump. All of that, like I said, we'll get into that with the next subject. But I believe that is why the firing didn't happen because I believe Trump was all set to do it. Yeah, I mean, his claim to fame, at least the last
2: oh fifteen years of his life, is "you're fired." Um, you know that's his uh, big catchphrase, and so he he's not afraid to fire people, and so um, and obviously even before, but I guess the straw in many cases that broke the camel's back was when Rex Tillerson questioned his intelligence, and it came out that he called him a bleeping moron. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it seems like that was just a bridge too far Honestly, that was probably a bridge too far for the 44 people that served before uh, Donald Trump Because I can't imagine George Washington, um, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, Ronald Reagan, President Obama Letting somebody call him an effing moron But then I wouldn't call any of those people that term because they don't fit the bill Hey, Catherine, good to
3: have you in yeah, sorry I'm late. Thanks.
2: We figured it was something like that. Well, um, we're talking about Rex Tillerson and the reports that he wouldn't be our Secretary of State possibly at this point, and he still is, but we hadn't heard he's on uh firm footing. What was your thoughts on the report?
3: I thought it was a kind of a um warning, maybe. But I don't think he takes too kindly to things like that. So I think it was some kind of, you know, way to warn him that he was his days were numbered, but I don't think that's the kind of thing that he responds to. It's my, I mean still innocent. Yeah, exactly. I just I don't I don't think he's uh easily uh frightened or threatened. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of expected um, him to resign, honestly, but he must have decided not to or so far he has
2: yeah and i I get the sense too that rick rick sollison doesn't have to have the paycheck and so he can sing the old johnny paycheck song at donald trump if he wants to take this job and shove it um if if he decides he needs to move on but there's probably some sense of civic duty him staying in there tim i want to ask you um the report back when the comments came out last time a few months ago that uh, rex tillerson steve mnuchin and james mattis all had kind of a a deal together that if one left they'd all leave i think at that time we didn't think james, uh, we we didn't think of the three that steve mnuchin fit the profile in some ways i think people have mentioned john kelly in that too um do you think if he were to fire rex tillerson that that would mean two or three more people um, would
1: leave? Well, I don't know. And the reason I say that is because they make this agreement that if one leaves, they're all going to leave. I took that to mean that if one quit, that the others would quit. Now, as far as getting fired, I don't know if that deal would hold or not. I'm going to say... At this point, probably not. And I still am going to be surprised, considering what all else is going on, if, if, if that is even a thing, if, if there is a firing. I, I don't see how Trump right now can afford to do it. And, and like I said, I, I don't believe those other guys will go if he does firing.
2: Well, Catherine, somewhat the same question. I'm going to put a new angle on it. Wouldn't um, any th- of the three of them, in this case Tillerson, getting fired for not just calls be worse than them just deciding to quit? I mean if Donald Trump just fired them on a whim and they didn't deserve to be fired, um, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that somebody would have your back even more so in that case? Um,
3: <clears throat> well, I don't know what the conversation is between the three of them, so it's hard to know, but – <clears throat> I see your point, but um, you know I think getting fired is um, always a, it always leaves a mark. You know, no matter no matter whether it was for just reason or not, it's still a, it still stings. And <clears throat> for one person to get fired, and the other two to Quit along with them is a little um, is it a little dramatic or a little um, I'm just not sure that uh, how that looks uh whereas if everybody resigns at once, it's a little bit more of a statement but that's i like I said, I don't know what their conversations were, so I don't know if they you know talked about those various potential circumstances.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's all a mess because what's ironic is these three gentlemen have not been implicated in any way by the Russia investigation. You've got other parts of the cabinet that have been, or not, maybe not the official cabinet, but his inner circle, that have been um, implicated. And so you've got one side that maybe doesn't respect you and the other side that's um, legally entangled Uh Tim, kind of now let's kind of segue over to the Russia investigation. How does this on one side with this more scandal coming out, more details coming out with Michael Flynn
1: playing? Oh mercy, Flynn! <laughs> oh my, what a week, huh? Uh, now there's four. Uh, now, but but you see the thing with Flynn now for the first time. As I alluded to earlier, we have someone who was very close to Trump, both in the campaign and in the administration, and, and, and general. Um, and he is cooperating. Uh, I imagine he did the deal to try and avoid prosecution for his son. Who's also yeah. been mentioned in this trump trump's people and with a straight face uh, by the way are trying to say that well, he was one of obama's people well that of course <laughs> is not exactly going to work since Obama had fired him and had also warned Trump about uh you know even even having him uh, This guy was right with Trump from the beginning of his campaign, and so no matter what they say, here's the long and short of it. Two of the four people who have been charged have already pleaded guilty to felonies. That means the prosecutors said, okay, here's what you did, and they said, that's right, we did that, we own up. No no ifs, ands, or buts. So the first question, uh, who's next? There's the first question. Who goes next? Somebody is, uh, maybe a family member, maybe Kushner. I don't know. And the second question, and the one we really better watch out for, will Trump try to stop this investigation? So that's, like I said, what a week. (laughs) Yeah. Not a good week for the administration legally
2: Yeah, definitely I saw, Catherine, I saw that That they said Michael Flynn Who worked in the administration And uh, Obama administration And only worked for the Trump administration For 25 days Do you think with their base With the Fox News crowd Breitbart, uh, Infowars Do you think they'll be able to sell um, That line with Michael Flynn at least? <laughs>
3: Tim, um, uh probably. I agree. I mean if they yeah. if they can if they can if they can blame you know, if they can um implicate Obama, then of course everybody's gonna go, Oh yeah, it was Obama You know, I mean everybody wants that I mean that's the right wing's favorite um scapegoat, right? So if they can, if they can do that, if they can successfully convince them of that, which isn't hard because all they listen to is the same echo chamber all day long. So get handy on it, and the rest of the Fox people, and yes,
2: yeah. I mean, that's, that's what the biggest reality is. I think that that will work amongst his base now. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't in his base That it obviously won't work And then, uh, Robert Mueller's not in his base And it isn't going to work with him either um, People keep saying you know, And Tim, you just asked the question well, will, When will Donald Trump try to fire Robert Mueller? The question is just, Could he, without The Republicans and the Congress And Senate actually having some Backbone and standing up to him That's another huge if um, One thing that I think is important is Everybody seems to get the idea that Jared Kushner is going to be implicated further. Maybe not charged, but implicated further. Now, I know that there's a whole thing where if someone commits a crime, their spouse doesn't have to testify against them. But is there a way where maybe Ivanka took the lead in certain parts and they're going to have Jared Kushner take more of the fall to her? Because we obviously know that, Donald Trump Junior has been implicated with reports in some way. Um, Catherine, I'll let you have this one first. Um, is that you where mean, it kind of stops where it gets, if if, if it gets to family um, members? You mean you think Jared's gonna t-
3: so t- t- take the fall for Ivanka. So you're asking? Well or is that yes. what he'll
2: be expected to do? Particularly from Big Don. Yes. Yeah.
3: I think so. Because she's she's got yeah. children to raise and, you know, she's Ivanka. Uh,
2: I think is the second right? part is yeah. probably the more Yeah, that that's probably the more important part. She's Ivanka. Um because I am I'm, I'm sure she's uh, there's other folks helping raise the children, including Jared, he's the father. Um and probably a staff Yeah, as but well. I mean in
3: in, uh, in that in that milieu, I think the expectation is that you know she has to. You know what about the children? Because you know they could both get in trouble. And then what would happen? Let their gra- let grandpa take care of the kids? I don't think so.
2: <laughs> he may be in trouble too. So uh, maybe step grandmama right. um, might have stepped in. She hadn't been implicated in any way. Last time I heard. Um, well, well, Tim, uh, your thoughts on all this getting to the family?
1: I'd say that is the line. That Donald Trump has drawn in that tormented brain of his uh, where he would say, okay, this is where I take action. Um, if, if any of them are charged, I believe he will pardon them. I don't believe there is any way he's just going to stand there while his family goes to jail because if he does stand there while his family Joe goes to jail, the thought had to have crossed that brain of his that eventually they will get around to him. Uh, so the, I believe that is the point at which Trump's going to step in and try to, I don't know, produce a Saturday night massacre uh, and, and pardon, uh, any family members who, who are indicted, uh, yeah, so I don't well, believe I, I don't believe there's going to be any falling on our swords among the family, including sons-in-law. So,
2: well, well, let me ask y'all this: At what point, and and we can think back to Nixon, although family members were not involved in this at all, does something happen like he tries to force out Robert Mueller? He pardons family members who, in the court of public opinion, look guilty. Of something working with our, for the longest time our biggest enemy Russia, and the in um, future administrations generations say we've got to or the Congress more likely we've got to curtail presidential pardons because the whole process can be convoluted to where people can pardon their own family and it becomes some ways the trappings of a monarchy which George Washington our first president. Spoke so firmly out against. I mean, Catherine is at some point we have to look at the limits of a presidential pardon if someone, um, you know, distorts the limits of it.
3: Um, I, I'm not prepared to go that far yet because I mean, the presidential okay. pardon does have a have an important role and. Um, there are times when it's really Helpful and important But I mean I just feel like it, I mean To stop Trump we would have We would have to do a lot of things I mean we'd have to change a lot of things Not just pardoning But you know how the President communicates How I mean he's just a train wreck For the as far as our you know Constitution and um, Sort of Democratic traditions and legacy Go I saw Doris Kearns Goodwin on um, One of the morning shows this morning And she's just like (laughs) She looks Bad she's been you know Worrying about all this stuff a lot I can tell She was just she's horrified By the whole thing
2: You see where I'm going with this Uh, A president um, Either fires special Prosecutors he pardons Family members to something to have to do with his administration. This is not pardoning some criminal that maybe got wrongly accused and a crime that had no direct correlation to the president's life, the president's family. Is this something that causes these congressional powers to be looked at and reexamined?
1: Uh, you know, I really don't know if they would or not. We, we, we have history to tell us. About that, I mean, we have a president who pardoned another president. I mean, the thing you talk about something that smacked of a deal, yeah, uh, when Ford pardoned Nixon, but no- nobody uh that I recall was screaming, "Let's change the process by which presidents do that uh bush forty one Pardon Weinberger and all that bunch and everybody associated with Iran Contra as as a result walked free and clear. Again, nobody was screaming "Let's change the process." I remember some grumbling about. I guess you know some people are above the law, but you know uh, that that was about it. So even, even in this case where he would be pardoning you know, immediate family members, still, they are members of the administration. They work in the administration, even though they're family members. So legally, he can do this. Uh, Legally, he could fire uh, Mueller if, you know, he can get someone to do it. He, He can't call him in himself and say, Uh, I'm shutting the investigation down. You're fired, but his Justice Department could. Uh, That's what produced the Saturday Night Massacre. Nixon had to go all the way down to Robert Bork to get it done, but he got it done. And something like that is what would happen now. Uh, But, man, uh, with a guy with his approval rating already in the tank with a huge midterm election coming uh i imagine a lot of people in congress are spending some sleepless nights uh over this because it would just it would be oh it would be chaos so
2: yeah i think it's going to be something typically we think of that the ballot box takes care of but the ballot box is seeming not to take care of this uh, and this fits into the whole you know gerrymandering uh, electoral College, all this discussion where um, Our politics is so skewed uh, Guys, I'm going to work on getting our guests on So I need to give y'all a topic to start talking about And I'm going to pull back on this But let's begin to talk about the tax reform bill uh, Tim, just <coughs> kind of set it up And if y'all don't hear me for a second
1: Then Ooh. I'm going to pop back on, hopefully with our guest. Well. Wow. Man, uh, as this was going on Friday, Catherine, I wrote down a whole page of misery, shall we put it, that that's <laughs> contained it
0: was,
3: it was in, in, in this
1: bill. Uh it, it it's it's just horrible. It, it it was sad and and I know you, we talked Friday and you were watching some of it too. It it was sad watching this rush job and, and that's all it was. It it, it, it They were actually writing part of this dog of a bill as they were voting. I I, I mean in longhand. Uh, You know, senators were showing pages of it on the Internet, and and some of the writing was actually illegible. Uh, It's almost like the Republicans panicked here. I mean, like they're desperate to pass anything, (laughs) and about anything is uh, what they passed, huh? Were you pretty much thinking along those lines as you were watching this happen,
3: or? I just was, I'm just so um, deeply disappointed in everyone. Like, you know, for a long time, I, yeah, um, so. hello?
2: Oh, it was me Great. popping back in. Well, guys, if, if hold that thought, and then we'll start in on, our guest segment, and we want to bring on for the first time to the Kudzu Vine uh, from his company, Aristotle Database, and from Predicted John Aristotle Phil- Phillips. Welcome, John.
0: Thank you very much. Good to be on.
2: Yes. Well, well John, first off, since this is the first time you've been on, even though you have been in the political world for a while, and um you know like I think we were booking booking and I think we talked about it last week when we knew you were coming on um your database company is just known countrywide by anybody that does anything with um electoral records and trying to do voter contact just give everybody a um little bio on your political side and anything else you want to throw in
0: sure thanks for the thanks for having me on first of all and hello to the listeners so uh, I am the CEO of Aristotle, which is a company I started uh, 30 years ago with my younger brother when we got out of college. And at the time, hard to believe, but computers were had not found their way into campaigns. And so we saw a possible area to start a business, which was to help computerize campaigns. You know, the da- the, the list of supporters and the voters and the voter contact, and that has now grown into the um, the, the leading Provider today on a nonpartisan basis of technology of all types to political campaigns We basically help candidates and causes connect with voters And help to influence that decision at the ballot box that a voter is going to make
2: Yes, and then that got so successful and I'm sure gave you um, a lot of pleasure and profits And you started a new company Predict It, which even people are not working campaigns but follow the news um, or follow politics, they can still enjoy. Tell our listeners about Predict It.
0: Sure. Well, Predict It is really a a project, a joint project with uh, universities, including Victoria University of Wellington, New Zealand. And there are now more than 80 academics and academic institutions that utilize the Predict It information that it produces, uh, in, in order to try to, to hone their predictions or forecasts as to what's going to happen, PredictIt is a prediction market. It's run like a stock market, where you can buy and sell. Any American can buy and sell a one-dollar winner-take-all contract that something either will or will not happen. And there are more than 300 markets on PredictIt. It's everything from, you know, who's going to win the Alabama Senate race, what the margin of victory is going to be. Um, How many counties will be won by one candidate or the other to tax tax reform? Is it going to pass? Is it going to be signed into law to Trump impeachment markets? And we'll talk about that on the show. But prediction markets are very, very accurate because people have skin in the game. And so there are tens of thousands of people uh, who are uh, making predictions on Predictit.org.
2: Yes. What kind of, you told us kind of how it came about. What got you interested in doing this?
0: Well, that's a great question. So, you know, for, for people who are – for political professionals and for news organizations, public opinion polling is increasingly difficult. You can read that to me, and it's more and more expensive, and it's less and less accurate. And so an alternative to public opinion polling – you know, and yet being able to project or forecast accurately what's likely to happen, whether it's Brexit – you know or uh, the economy the number of jobs or political outcomes who's going to be elected all those things are very very important hundreds of billions of dollars hinge on them. and so we started to look at markets because markets in general the stock market or futures markets they're really good not perfect but they're better than other ways of forecasting the future. And that's why markets such as pork bellies or orange juice futures or hurricane landfall options, all those things are very, very important. It's sort of like forecasting the weather. The more accurate the forecast and the longer range, those become very, very valuable. And that's how we got started with PredictIt.
2: Yes. Okay, well, I've kind of set this thing up, and I'm looking at a lot of the current markets, and I've got questions, but I'm going to be fair – to um, Catherine and Tim about some of these markets and some of the hottest things on there and let them ask about that. If they leave anything left, I may ask a few, too.
3: Catherine,
2: uh, questions for uh, Mr. Phillips on any of the predicted markets?
3: Well, I'm just going to first say thank you for um, having this idea 30 years ago and putting all this information at our fingertips because – I am old, and I started out in politics when I was very young with my parents, and I remember going through phone books and city directories and doing everything by hand with index cards and typed labels and, you know, the whole thing, and it's today, I was out canvassing for for a candidate here in um, Atlanta area, and we had everything on our cell phones, (laughs) and I granted it was not your product a different product but you you're the one who started it and it was just so much it's so incredible to tell the stories of what it used to be like to like the young people who have never can't imagine that the work that went into these political campaigns in the past so thank you for that um you bet this predictive thing is really interesting to me um and I, I actually, honestly, did not know that it was so um, reliable. I, that's an, a new part of it to me. I just thought it was kind of a novelty, so to speak. So, why, why is it so so um, accurate? Do we? I mean, or is that just because
0: it is? Well, that's a, that's a, well, that's one of the reasons why all these academic institutions, including the Federal Reserve, including teaching. Uh, institutions like West Point, why they're so interested in prediction markets in general and then predicted in particular. There are different theories as to why these prediction markets are so accurate. Some, Some people think it's because in a market, inside information, people with more information than everybody else, they get into the market and they influence the price. Of a particular commodity or a prediction. In this case, others think it's because there's something called wisdom of the crowds. You know, you get a whole lot of people together; they make their best guess, and the, the where most of those guesses come in will probably more often than not be accurate. And then there's then there are you know other theories. You know, there are people. Some people are super forecasters. They're really good at making a prediction, and these people are able to focus in on the things that really matter and not listen to all the noise regarding what, you know, what people would like you to believe. So that it's a, it's a good question, but markets generally are very efficient for distilling billions of pieces of information and coming, you know, starting with risk and, and prices and distilling that into odds and when, so when, when I tell you that you know the, the market is saying there's a 22% chance that uh, President Trump will be impeached in 2018, that's a 22% chance. What that means is the price of a Donald Trump to be impeached in 2018 is trading right now for 22 cents. And what that means is if, if you put down 22 cents, believing that he will be impeached in 2018, if that comes to pass, you get a dollar. On the other hand, if you put down... 78 cents, the opposite of the 22. You put down 78 cents that he's not going to be impeached. If he's not impeached, you get the dollar. So that's how this market – and the prices change constantly. You don't have to stay in the market through 2018. You can buy and sell your shares at any time. And it's a $1 winner take-all contract. And we have literally billions of – or uh, hundreds of millions of shares – being, you know, changed changed hands in 2016, based upon people's belief that the odds were, were accurate, or the odds were too high, or the odds were too low
3: of a certain event occurring. Well, the interesting thing, a friend of mine was, we were talking about this, and he was saying that he's um, that he that he has friends who are betting against what they want to happen because Mm -hmm. either way they win so if they if what they want happens then they won the electoral uh, side of it but if it doesn't then they make money (laughs) which I thought was like really crazy but you know I mean I guess it it takes all kinds to make these kind of things work but I just thought that was interesting you know sort of uh uh, approach to something like this, but uh, it's, sure. it's very, very interesting. And I, and I am 100% with you on the accuracy of polling. I'm, I'm, I'm just so frustrated by polling. It after 2016, and then still, you know, in Georgia we had our um, congressional districts, uh, six seats that didn't turn out the way we all expected, and then it just seems to be, you know, with cell phones and um, voter and and caller ID, it just seems so difficult for the polling um, companies to really get uh, accurate polls anymore. I mean, I never answer my phone unless I know who it is. So, why Well, that's, I, that's right. Know? So, so one, of the,
0: one of the things that prediction markets do where you, have a little, you put a little bit of money in, it, it, it appears that when you put a little bit of money, when an individual puts a little money in, they got a little bit of money on the line, it really clears their head. So when you're talking yeah. to a pollster, you're telling people you know, you're telling the pollster what you want to have happen. You know, who are you gonna vote for? You know, who who are you supporting? Whereas a market, it doesn't matter what you wanna have happen, what you do is what you think is gonna happen. And so right. your it's friends notwithstanding that are that are hedging <laughs> their bets. You know, <laughs> They're welcome to do that, but there are lots of predicted traders who are going to be happy to take their money if, they're, if they've miscalculated the odds of something happening. And you might like, you might like the odds of Trump being impeached in 2018 at you know at at 22 cents. You might like it at 22, uh, but you but you hate it at 45, right? So the odds go up. You may say, you know, it's now the odds because they did jump. They they jumped a, a whole lot in the last week. But you may think that it's, the odds are too low or the, too high, in which case you should take that side of the bet and then sell when the rest of the market, the rest of the world catches up with your brilliance.
3: Well, thank you very much again, th- and thank you for all your early efforts there, really making our, le- our work so much easier on the electoral side. And now I'm going to pass it to Tim.
1: Good evening, Mr. Phillips. Uh, I wanted to, uh, first of all, uh, gush a little bit because I'm engaging in a little bit of hero worship with you. As it turns out, I'm I'm a few months older than you are. Let's just say I remember your exploits in college vividly, and and I I I, I thought during that time, man, this guy's great. If I could talk to him, and here I am doing it. So it's yeah. it's, it's well, an honor to have you on with us, you. You you have done some great things over the years. Um, well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate at, that. All right. Um, now I would like to ask you about something that is going on. Well, just a few miles from my house, as a matter of fact, and that is this election over in Alabama. Uh, what is the action like on predicted? as far as a favorite in the Alabama Senate race and has a trend developed?
0: Sure. Uh, Tim, first of all, thank you for having me on. I very much appreciate it. And it's my uh-huh. honor to be on the show. So, so let me tell you, Alabama, the Alabama Senate race is one of the most traded markets on predicted, certainly this uh-huh. year. And, uh-huh. and it's in that it's way up there in terms of popularity right now, as of this moment, the predicted market says, in terms of who's going to win, they have—they're giving Roy Moore a 76% chance of winning the election. So right now, for 76 cents, you can buy the chance to win a dollar if he wins the election, or you can take the other side of that, and you can take it—you can, you can take it at 24 cents, saying he's not going to win the election, and if he doesn't win, you get the dollar. Of course, if you make a bet on the wrong side, you lose your. Seventy-six cents, or your twenty-four cents. But so right now, the market says seventy-six percent chance that Moore is going to win. It's also interesting that the in terms of margin of victory, because there's separate markets on that, um, mm-hmm. zero to four percent. You know, so there's a there's a uh, different different ranges in terms of what the margin of victory is going to be, and it's you know whether it's going to be you know zero, four percent. You know six uh, percent these are all all markets that are that are playing out, but it it th- the market is confident that more is going to win now you know there are people who make money betting on on what the market thinks is a long shot, so if you think more is going to lose, you can make that investment for for twenty four cents to win a dollar uh in in December when the election takes place
3: if you lose uh-huh
0: um,
1: Why? Is this particular race one of the most heavily traded things that you have had on predicted? Is it Roy Moore himself and his travails as they were driving the thing, uh, or or is it because it it is the only big Senate race in town, or or, or what what is it that's driving this thing?
0: Well, so. It, it's it, it has been volatile. So mm-hmm. every day there seemed there seemed to be a revelation, or whether you know, Trump was going to endorse more, or you know McConnell was going to get him to drop out of the race. All those things traders take into account. You know these these people who are trading, they are people who who pride themselves on on being up on politics and current affairs. And so as this market changed, you know people might like Moore's odds at seventy six percent. But if the odds went up to you know eighty percent, they might the people who think he's going to he's going to win say no, but it's not an eighty percent chance it's less than an eighty percent chance he's going to win. so they might take the other side of that uh the other side of that wager. So it's volatile. there's stuff in the news all the time, and I think people you know I think people are are um, the people who are in this market are you know believe that conventional wisdom has been wrong
3: mhm. Well yeah, you bet against
0: the another crowd. you bet against the crowd. It's like that's when you make money in the stock market.
1: Oh. Okay. Well then let's go to another subject uh that you broached on your site, and that's the betting odds on the candidates on the Democratic side for the twenty twenty uh nomination. From the looks of it no clear betting favorite has emerged from the pack.
0: What would you say is the reason for that? Well, that's a, that's a great observation. You know, it's, it's true. I was looking at this before we started the show tonight. You know, Kamala Harris has got an 18% chance according to the market of becoming the Democratic Mm -hmm. nominee. Bernie Sanders has an equal 18% chance. And Elizabeth Warren is coming in third at 15%. So, Mm -hmm. The market is undecided in terms of who is going to be the Democratic nominee. If you really believe that Kamala Harris has got a a lock on it, you should snap up those Kamala Harris to be the Democratic nominee contracts at $0.18 apiece. Um, Same with Bernie Sanders. On the other hand, if you think there's no chance that Bernie Sanders can get the nomination, you might want to take the other side of that at uh, $0.82. $0.82. That says Bernie Sanders is not going to be the Democratic nominee, and so it's it's real early, right? It's really early. the the the, the election from 20 you know 18 hasn't even taken place, and, and there's already speculation that it's going to be the Democratic and the Republican nominee uh, uh, in 2020.
1: Mm. Now I wanted to ask you one final question, and it's a general question uh, about Predictit. Obviously, it's something that, well, you advertise it as a quote stock market for politics, other than the prospect of making money uh, on, on you know, investing in it. <clears throat> what do we learn from a site such as Predictit?
0: Well so that's a that's another good question. So the the market is set up for researchers to try to understand that question which which we talked about at the top of it right when we started the show tonight. Why are markets so accurate when it comes to forecasting the future? Why mm-hmm. why is that? You know what if mm-hmm. you think about what when you're forecasting the future, what you're doing is you're, you're peering, you know, you're pulling back the curtain just a little bit to look ahead, to try to see what's going to happen. It's almost like having a time machine. And, and so we don't really understand entirely. When I say we, I mean researchers don't understand entirely why markets are as accurate as they are. There are some known reasons, but there's also a great deal of, of uh, interest in how markets might be used to predict the future in politics, or in economics, or in other areas, something other than just the price of a stock. Because if you can predict, for instance, how many you know category four or, you know hurricanes are going to be a year from now, or how mm-hmm. serious those hurricanes are going to be, that's just the weather. The more you can predict what is likely to happen around political or geopolitical events like Brexit or you know the, what's going on in Spain right now, or a U.S. presidential election. If you can predict what's going to happen, then you've got you, you you are able to really mitigate the risk associated with all types of financial activity and personal activity.
1: Hmm. Well, thank you for that answer. That was. That was very insightful. And with that I'm gonna send it back to David with one final word. It has really been an honor to talk to the A bomb kid. It really has. I want uh, you to know thank that. You. <laughs> David <laughs>
2: Yes, well I, I know that our time is, is limited and we've got some other things we've got to do. I have so many questions I wanna ask you about the market and I think when we talked, if this wasn't too painful, you're willing to come on sometime in the future, maybe after the holidays sometime. Is that correct?
0: Oh, yeah. And, in fact, David, I wanted to, you were to re- refresh my memory. We created a, a a code that your listeners can use if they want to try out Predict It. What is the code yes, again? Yes, we did. We yeah, did. Yeah.
2: Kudzu. That, we just kept it simple, <laughs> Kudzu, um, because we hope listeners will know uh, that's what it is. So tell people what they would get if they use that code sure. on your site.
0: Great. So the, 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 site is predictit.org. dot O R G predict it dot O R G. And if you go to predictit.org dot and you use the code Kudzu, KUDZO K U D Z O. When you open an account and make a first time deposit, it can be as little as $10 Predictit will match the first up to $25 of your first deposit. So, so you can play with the site a little bit. Now, you need to use the Kudzu promo code. But if you do that, we'll match up to $25 of your first deposit with which you can start making predictions. And we hope you have a good time. It, listen, it's a it's a lot of fun. And it's also, you might turn out to be a super forecaster. Wouldn't that be great if you could tell your relatives over the holiday uh, meal uh, how you picked up a couple of bucks by accurately predicting something on predicted? So...
3: <laughs> so <laughs>
0: And so have some fun this have some fun this holiday season. I'm looking forward. I, I very much appreciate the time. Look forward to being able to come back on the show.
2: Sure thing. Thanks again.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Thanks. sir. Okay.
2: Yes, that was John Aristotle Phillips of Predictit.org. Um, once again, the promo code um, Kudzu. You can use that. Um, probably go ahead. He may go ahead and use that same spelling that John gave, but. K U D Z U may also work. I'll try to um, get with him all, offline and uh, work that out as well. But just great to have him talking about predicted and other things. Um, and so it would be great to have him as a, a you know guest periodically because a lot of times y'all are right. These predicted markets are more valuable than polls because it kind of gives us more insight into what people are thinking and you know gut feelings at times. Well, speaking of gut feelings, I know we had started talking about the tax uh, reform bill, but we've only got about 10, 12 minutes left in the show, and Catherine, you're going to the polls. Tim and I aren't, but the mayor's runoff of Atlanta is going to happen, and uh, since you're in the city, uh, give us your thoughts on the state of the race right now, and then Tim and I can give kind of an outsider's view, too.
3: Well, this week was kind of full of surprises. Uh, I don't know if you, how close you, everyone's been following it, but a number of uh, individuals and organizations uh, came out with endorsements, including Mary, Kathy Willard, who um, was a candidate. She was the third runner-up in the election. She she uh, held a um, sort of a forum with the two candidates, and while I was not there, I have a number of friends who were there, and they said that. It was very well done, and that Kathy did a really good job of keeping the two candidates on subject when they started to stray off. She stopped them and said, No, that's not what the question was, and brought them back into, you know, on topic. And um, I guess two days later, she came out and publicly endorsed Mary Norwood, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I'm not sure why it's a surprise. Nothing should really be a surprise with this race, and then of course I don't remember if this was before last week or or after, but Shirley Franklin came out in support of Mary Norwood, Caesar Mitchell um, came out in support of Mary Norwood, and then a, a, a number of other Democrats, you know, visible Democrats came out in support of Keisha Lance Bottoms. So there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of endorsements this last week. I did watch the debate most of the debate tonight. Um, on um ABC local ABC channel and um I I felt like it was pretty much of a draw. Um I thought that uh Keisha came out sort of stronger and more poised whereas um Mary came out more warm and um interested uh, you know, showing much more interest in um individuals over sort of the, you know, history and legacy of Atlanta. So um, it, it's just been an interesting week. Uh, I think it's going to be a late night. The latest poll has um, Mary Norwood up by about, I think, five points. Um, but, again, I'm not I, – I think a lot is going to depend on turnout. A lot it's going to be – you know, I think there's people that live – there's also a, lot, a number of other runoffs. So hopefully people will get out and vote. And vote for mayor and go all the way down their ballots if they have other runoffs, because there's a lot of candidates that are working really hard to try to win in those runoffs. So um, I just hope, you know, a lot of people vote, but I think we're going to be up late again on Monday night – on Tuesday night. Yes.
2: Tim, I'm going to frame a question for you as well. Um, Going into the first round of election, it seemed like Keisha Lance Bottoms had a ton of momentum. Right, Coming right out of it with Election Day, her getting first place, Mary Norwood kind of sinking a little bit in that first round, all the momentum was on Keisha Lance's bottom side, it seemed like. In the past week or two, that seems completely the opposite, even as these attacks have intensified about Mary Norwood's ties to different Republican figures, she seems to have created momentum for herself in the city of Atlanta. Um, do you get that sense and if so How has she done that
1: Yes I do get That sense uh, Especially from this New polling that we'll talk about In just a minute uh, But one thing I think that has happened is that A lot of the also rans Their support Has coalesced around Norwood um, For instance uh Twenty one point three percent of African-Americans are supporting her, um, which is which is a large number right there. Um, And and so Big Mo has gotten at her back. Another thing that's happened just a few days ago, a a Fox five poll, another poll showed that, like, I don't know, 20 percent of voters were undecided in this new poll has less than four percent well obviously all of the undecideds are breaking late to norwood now why we can talk about why that is is it the endorsement of shirley franklin is it a backlash against mayor reed is it the uh, public endorsement by these other candidates or is it a combination of all of those things, but we may be about to see some history. Atlanta hasn't had a a white mayor since I was in high school, and that that's that's a while back by the way <laughs> uh so uh if if this newest poll that I'm sure you'll uh share with us david, is right uh she she may be about to win this. Thing.
2: Yeah, and I have no idea if, you know, you just don't know if polls are right anymore because you don't know if the pollster has the right sample. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. is the sample that Mark Roundtree at Landmark Communications has turning out, is that who's going to turn out? Um, And I have, I think, less of a sense on this race than I do have others of, you know, how big is turnout going to be because I think it would honestly help turnout in this race. If it were on December 12th, because then it would be the same day as the Alabama special election, which is getting so much national attention. Because honestly, when I saw this was December 5th, I said, oh, wait, it's not the same day as the Alabama special election? Now, I'm not going to vote neither one of them, because I don't live in Alabama nor Atlanta. But I just assumed that was some runoff day, which political science degree. I host a political podcast, and I had to do a double tape. Catherine, do you think some people are, in Atlanta are confused on the date, or am I just this weirdo that follows Alabama and Atlanta politics, even though I live in neither?
3: I don't think there's a confusion about the date. I, I think it's been all been made. I mean, I think there's been enough reporting about it and about enough news about it, and it's the usual timing. Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, I, I get. Kim, I, get what I think that's
2: certainly right. possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think Catherine backhandedly called me a weirdo, Tim. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Well, she's right about that, let's let's go ahead. (laughs) Do you think that because of the Alabama election getting so much national attention, I mean, it honestly feels like a national election in many ways, do you think that that's going to impact turnout
1: in the Atlanta election? Like people doing no, I, no, I agree. I agree with Catherine. I think it's two completely different animals. And uh, regardless of if there's another election going on that, that somebody's talking about in another state or whatever, uh, turnout is is still going to be everything on on that day. Turnout was the reason Mary Norwood probably lost to Kasim Reed by painfully close margin uh, eight years ago, and turnout will, again, determine who wins on Tuesday, uh, especially in, in looking at, at this uh, polling thing. But but on this poll, David, uh, number yep. one, I guess we have to pay attention to it because it's the most recent poll. And number two, if she's got a 6.2% lead over bottoms, well, that's beyond the poll's margin of error. So i got to wonder, you know, as I look at those numbers, if maybe this poll isn't about hitting it right.
2: It it may. I mean, obviously, I think one thing is true. Mary Norwood's in better shape right now than she was the first year in November. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she's, she's gained somewhere. Catherine, I want to ask you, where do you – and why do you think she's gained? Is it Shirley Franklin and Caesar Mitchell endorsing her? Is it something about the attacks? There's a backlash? Uh, or is there some other issue-related thing that's causing her to do better than Keisha Lance Bottoms?
3: I think it's all those things. I think getting the, you know, a lot of union support probably helps her um, also. um, And I I don't think that we have a big block of union voters, but I think it um, helps progressives feel like maybe it's okay to vote for her. Um, But I definitely think that um, former Mayor Shirley Franklin, who's, you know, a really well-respected person in the community, I think that really... Made a difference And uh, and Kathy Woolard as well um, Kathy
1: hey, Woolard yeah? I wanted to ask you a question Is all of those things Put together enough To have pushed Say I don't know 15% of voters who were undecided Right toward Norwood This late
3: I think that Kathy Woolard um, So Kathy Woolard had a Giant block of east side Voters uh-huh. and I think that her um, endorsement probably moved a lot of voters to Mary Norwood, and then you take Shirley Franklin. I think it could account for that. I I, I haven't looked at all the wow. numbers, but I think, I mean, there's a big... I mean, because she, she got, what, 13% or something. Whatever the number was, she did really well, so, and, and people trust her, um, and so I think that her endorsement really helped and it probably brought some people from other candidates who were like there there were a number a number of my friends were vacillating between Kathy Willard and another candidate not all the same and so I think those some of us who heard about that um, endorsement even if we hadn't voted for Kathy might have been persuaded by her endorsement Yeah,
2: it'll be interesting to see, and we're short on time now, but if this thing has – it's going to have one or two turnouts, and if one happens, I think we're going to have a topic for next week about the role of the Democratic Party of Georgia um, if this thing turns out. I guess we'll have a, a, a topic either way, but one is far more complex than the other if one of these candidates wins. Uh, again, want to thank our guest John Aristotle Phillips of predictit.org. Um feel free to just look around his site. It's informative even if you don't spend money, but if you want to spend money, I think it's more like a fantasy football, fantasy baseball level money. It's not, you know, a trip to Vegas kind of thing anyway, and there is that promo code that he'll uh match the fun, the first $10, I believe it is. Uh Kudzu. Um K- Catherine, good luck on your Tuesday voting. Until next. Thank you. the Good
3: night, y'all. Good night,
1: guys. Good night, everybody.
3: We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a
0: strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution.